Well, uh, we're glad you guys are here, and uh, we're excited for what the Lord might want to do today during the message. Just want to encourage you guys, take notes, read your Bible uh, as we go through it, be engaged. God wants to speak to you today, and uh, I was telling Second Service, and I wholeheartedly believe it, that God wants to do something in you guys. Um, You know, hey guys, so when I'm talking, you guys got to be paying attention, okay? Thank you. So God really does want to do something in you. Uh, It's just, will you guys respond to it? All right. So today we're going to get into the message, uh, which again will be in the book of John. We started a series last week, uh, and it's called To the End. And uh, we're basically going through John 13 all the way to John 17. And this is a section of scripture. Now, um, who likes goodbyes? Raise your hand. No one likes goodbyes. There's always a couple of weirdos, but for the most part, goodbyes are very hard things, right? Uh, that usually that's like not what uh, we're wanting to do, especially to people that we love, right? But I have found in my life that often goodbyes are easier with preparation. You know, with a little preparation, like, okay, you know this is coming. It doesn't make it easy, but it might make it easier, right? Uh, for example, when it's sudden and with, without warning, uh, g- goodbyes can be very hard. Maybe, if, maybe someone that you know, uh, you know, suddenly dies in a car crash or a heart attack overnight. That Those are like, man, boom, you weren't expecting that, right? But it's a little bit different, uh, not easy, but easier when you have some expectation, Maybe you, maybe you know someone that has gotten an illness in their life and, and, and they were given you know, a projection of two or three months to live. It's not that, okay, this is easy now, but it's okay. You have some time to process it, right? You have some time to, okay, we, you know, make preparations. That person has some time to get things in order before they go or whatever kind of other example. It's not just death. Maybe it's uh, for someone that's in the military. Normally, if someone enters the military right now because there's no draft going on, there's some preparation, right? You can kind of get things in order before you go. Say your goodbyes hard, but easier with preparation, Opposed to if there was a draft right now and then, you know, someone that you're close to uh, didn't even sign up for it and they're, and they're gone within, you know, a couple of weeks maybe. That, that would be harder, right? And the idea today and why I bring that, that concept up of goodbyes, Jesus in, in, in a sense is saying goodbye to the disciples. This section that, that we're in today are the last few hours that Jesus has with the disciples before he goes to the cross. And he's preparing them for his departure. You see, their hearts were extremely troubled by the thought of Jesus leaving, that they had been with their master and their teacher for the last three years learning from him. And now he shares with them that he's leaving. And so what we're going to look at today, uh, the, a message entitled Heart Trouble, and we're, we'll be in John 14, verses 1 through 7. I raise your hand if, if you were here with us last week as we started this series. All right, you guys are weak at raising your hands. You got to raise them high, all right, so I can see them. So if you were with us last week, uh, then we, you know that we started this series. And, and last week in John 13, we saw Jesus's love and his service and his commitment to teach the disciples. Uh, and he did this by washing their feet. You guys remember that? He got out the bowl. He got out the towel. Uh, maybe if, if you weren't here, then hopefully you're a little familiar with the story where he serves them and washes their feet and sets this example for them to do as he leaves. 
But John 13 goes on, and we're not going to look at it in depth today, but I'll simply mention it for context's sake. Uh, that, that he gets back to the table, right? And he begins to teach them, hey, this is why I just washed your feet. This was the example that I'm leaving to you. But then Jesus goes on and he begins to talk to them uh, about, and he's warning them about how one of them is going to betray Jesus, how one of them is gonna betray him. Does anyone know uh, who eventually betrays Jesus? Yeah, Judas, right? And Judas at this time is still, this is that last supper setting where Jesus is talking with him. That's why they call it the last supper because it was the last like main meal that Jesus had before he went to the cross with the disciples, right? And so what's happening here is that he is telling them that, hey, one of you is gonna betray me. And, you know, it's kind of a funny interaction if you go back and read John 13 because, you know, they're all like looking around. They're like, who is it? Is it me? Is it him? Is it John? Is it James? And they start kind of thinking, oh, man, who, who could this be? And Peter, which usually Peter's not too shy, he like kind of nudges John. He's like, John, hey, psst, ask Jesus, who's, who is it? Who's going to betray him? And, and then John eventually says, Jesus, who's going to betray you? And, and Jesus really does reveal it. He doesn't say Judas by name, but he makes it completely obvious. But as I've shared with you guys before, the disciples are pretty slow to understand. You guys know what I mean? A little bit slow and they, they don't get the lesson right away. That's why Jesus has to explain things over and over again. Well, they kind of still are confused. Judas eventually gets up from the meal and he leaves to go do his dirty work. Uh, the disciples just think he's on some kind of mission for Jesus, let alone he's going to, uh, you know, on his way to betray Jesus. And so now we just have the 11 and Jesus in the room. And so Jesus turns to them uh, and, and from after washing their feet, after talking to them about, hey, one of you is going to betray me, he begins to tell them, which he's told them in time past, and he's going to be saying to them, hey, I'm leaving. I am going away. And so the commandment that I leave you is that you love one another. And, and then Peter kind of, you know, hears this very clearly, oh man, oh, he's leaving, and he kind of wants to zoom past the love stuff. He's like, okay, yeah, Jesus, we're supposed to love each other, but Jesus, where are you going? Like, I want to go with you. Now, if you know Peter at all, he has that spirit, right? Jesus, I will die for you. I will go anywhere. I don't know why I have an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice on, but uh, that, you know, he, he's, he's this committed guy. But Jesus warns him that he's going to deny him. How many times? Three, Three times, right? Before the rooster crows. And, and, Peter's kind of taken aback by that. He says, no, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'll be there for you. I want to go with you. Wherever you're going, I want to go. But Peter couldn't go. And so we come to this context where there's this shift that takes place, where Jesus washed their feet. He tells them that one of them is going to betray him. And he tells them, hey, I'm leaving. And the disciples have a little bit of heart trouble. And now what I mean by that is not that they like actually had something physically, you know, some palp uh, palpitations, is that the word? Uh, they didn't have something physically wrong with their heart, but their heart was trouble, their spirit, who they were, that the news that they had just received shook them up. And that's the context of John chapter 14. And there's this moment where Jesus isn't just talking to Peter and addressing that question of where are you going, but he turns to all the disciples and begins speaking into their life, all right? So what we're going to do, we're going to be in John chapter 14. And boys, if you can't stop talking, then you'll just have to separate. All right? Sound good? Yes? Okay. John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. 
and then we'll pray. The Bible says here that Jesus turns to the disciples and says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Verse four, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? So we see Thomas chimes up and asks a question. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. God, this is your word. And we know today that you want to speak to us, and we pray Lord, that as we give our attention to you and we, and we focus on what you'd want us to, to learn, that we would be able to grasp it. Lord, that we'd be able to understand, Lord, the truths that are found in this text. Lord, we are here uh, to hear from you. And so, Lord, as Samuel said so many years ago, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I want you guys to just repeat. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. For your servant hears. Lord, we want to hear from you today into our personal lives. Lord, help us for it not to just be a good Bible study, but for us to be able to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. And we all said, amen. Amen. All right, John 14. So obviously the title of the message is called Heart Trouble, but also number one, we find verse in verse one that Jesus perceives that they're having a rough time that they, they are struggling internally because of the news that they had just heard. Have you guys ever gotten news of something, something and, it, and it really just like, man, it just stirred you up on the inside? Maybe you could feel it in your stomach. And it, and it wasn't something physical that happened to you, but because of what you heard, it was almost like a physical reaction in you. Okay, that's what's going on. Heart trouble. And the news that Jesus had just shared with the disciples, it would have been very troubling. And it was. And he could see this. He saw their faces. He saw in their eyes that they were kind of upset. And think about it for a moment, okay? Think about the disciples. The disciples left everything they knew. Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. And they said, okay. They left their families. They left their jobs. They left their homes, the things that they were comfortable and used to. And they went to be able to follow Jesus. And what news did they just get? Well, number one, that one of them was going to betray them, betray him, and that he was leaving. You see, the disciples, unfortunately, at this time, had a wrong concept of what Jesus' true mission was. You see, in the mind of Peter and James and John and Thomas and Philip and these different disciples, in their mind, Jesus was working his way up to be able to establish a heavenly kingdom on earth. In their minds... Right, because right now they're under Jewish, the Jewish leadership, but then also Rome was the oppressor at the time. And so in their minds, Jesus was very getting very close to establishing his kingdom. And in their minds, they were thinking, okay, Jesus is gonna take the throne. Ain't no one gonna be able to come against him. And because we're his disciples, we're gonna have authority and reign and, and be responsible over different things. You see, they were right, but they were wrong on the timing. You see, this was Jesus' first coming. And he was coming not to live, but to die. 
that Jesus' main purpose, this first mission, was to be a humble servant who would go to the cross. But guess what? They were right in Jesus' ultimate mission. There will be a day where Jesus, the Bible says, comes back and establishes a heavenly kingdom here on earth, brings judgment. But you see, their timing was off. And so in their minds, Jesus is about to do this. But then they just got this news from Jesus that he's leaving. And so this rocked their world. After three years of following him, just to hear him say he's going. This must have been crippling for the disciples. Their thoughts must have been racing. Have your thoughts ever raced before? Their thoughts must have been like, I don't get this. What do I do? Do I just go back home? What was their plan? They couldn't put two and two together. Their world was rocked. In the midst of, of this, they, they have in their mind that one of them is even going to betray him. Was that, was that going to be them? They even just heard Peter, who was one of the leaders, was going to deny him three times. What was going on? And you see, after Peter's question, Jesus sees this. He perceives that they're, that they're having a difficult time. And so he tells them, look at verse 1 in your Bibles. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. I know that sounds like kind of old language. He basically says, hey, don't freak out. Another translation is set your heart at, at ease. What he's saying is, hey, everything is going to be okay. The word troubled, when he says, let not your heart be troubled, that word means, you can note it down, to have great distress, to have great pain and sorrow, to be stirred up on the inside. Have you guys ever felt anything like that? Maybe you haven't personally. Have you ever seen anyone that's had like a troubled spirit about them? Maybe they got some news about, uh, you know, something difficult that happened in their life. I know at, at times in my life, uh, I, I can feel like this. I know, like I described it earlier, sometimes it's, it, it's, a, it's not a physical thing, but then it's like there's some physical reactions on the inside. It's having a troubled heart. And think about what made the hearts of the disciples troubled or distressed or to be kind of just stirred up, uneasy, you could, you could describe it. Does that make sense? You guys getting that? Maybe you're like, I've never experienced that personally. Maybe you haven't yet. You will. Life is full of trouble. The Bible says that tribulation will come. But maybe you've seen someone that's, that's been in a distressing situation. Maybe you've seen mom or dad lose a job and, and, and kind of freak out over money or maybe, or whatever it might be. There are things in life that bring heart trouble. But for Peter and the disciples, what troubled their heart? It was the thought of the unknown. I want you guys to write that down, just unknowns. Oftentimes the things that give our heart the most trouble and can make us uneasy is when there are unknowns in life. And there are a lot of unknowns. I would say there's more unknowns than there even is knowns. I mean, there's some things we know. We know Jesus is on his throne. We know that, you know, God is creative of heaven and earth. We know what the word says. But man, there's a lot of just, we don't know what's gonna, you know, come tomorrow. The Bible says we don't know about tomorrow. God does. There's no unknowns to God. But for you and I, unknowns in our life can make us uneasy. Think about the current season that we're in. Maybe some of you guys are in public school or private school. And there's some unknowns coming up. What is school going to be like? Maybe for, for some of you, it's just troubling you. Maybe you've heard about what's going on in the world and, and maybe it's made you uneasy. Maybe there's some news or something going on in your family that's, that's troubled you. This is life. We experience these things. But Jesus, and what I want you to know today is that Jesus is 
very aware when your heart is like that. Sometimes we think of God as just taking care of the big stuff, but he cares about the small details of our lives. And he doesn't want our heart to be troubled. That's why he says, hey, hey, set your heart at ease or let not your heart be troubled. I really like what David Guzik has to say about this exact passage. David Guzik is a Bible commentator. Do you guys know what a Bible commentator is? It's someone who comments on the Bible, uh, meaning that he has studied and he has written down things that he has found in his study. And you can go to David Guzik. If you just type in David Guzik, it'll come up and it'll be enduringword.com. It's his Bible commentary. There's lots of people that have gone before us and are currently living who write commentaries on the Bible. Do you guys ever get confused sometimes when you read the Bible? I know I do all the time. And so I'll study it. I'll do my best to understand. But sometimes it's like, ah, I just don't get this. Or sometimes the perspective of someone else really helps. And so David Guzik, do you guys know where Santa Barbara is? It's about two hours north on the coast. Very beautiful city. Well, there's another Calvary Chapel there where you're not the only Calvary Chapel. And at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, he's no longer the senior pastor, but he is one of the now kind of uh, teaching pastors there. Uh, But in his commentary, he says this, which I think is very helpful for us. He says, Jesus never wanted us to have life without trouble. I mean, that was was never designed. I mean, it was designed for Eden, but uh, in a sense, after that, that he knows, he promised the disciples, hey, you're gonna have a tough time. But he has promised that we could have an untroubled heart even in a troubled life. Guys, that's it. That is what Jesus is talking about. Because the disciples, guess what? They're about to go through a whole lot of trouble. There's gonna be some very trying and testing times in their life. But what Jesus wants to give them is, and what he wants to tell them and communicate to them is that, hey, Things might be nuts around you, but you can have an inner peace from me. And guys, that is the key to living a Christian life. And it is the coolest thing in the world. The fact that life could be chaotic. Life could be crazy. Things in the world could be going, you know, crazy. But that God says, I can give you a peace in the midst of that. That inside, I can do a work in your life. Jesus goes on to say later in this exact conversation in John 14, verse 27, you can note it down. John 14, 27 says this. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now remember, when you're writing notes, you wanna write down just the verse reference. So you'd write down John 14, 27. And then you don't wanna write the whole verse. You just put a little note next to it. Just put, Jesus' peace, or Jesus gives peace. And he says, I don't give peace as the world gives it. Do I give it to you? And then he says again, let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. You see, Jesus desires to give us an inner calm. Like, what does it mean to have the peace of God? It means that you should be freaking out because of the circumstances and situations of life, but you're like, no, I'm good. I know God's on the throne. I know God loves me. I know the worst thing that happens to me is death, which actually the Bible says is gain for the Christian. So no, I'm good because I have the peace of God in my life. It's a calmness when you should be crazy. It's awesome. This is what God gives to us. And notice how he gives it. Look at the verse up here. He says, I don't give it as the world gives. What does that mean? How does the world give things? Oftentimes the world gives things with strings attached. You know what that means? 
It means there's like underlying motives or there's little, little gotchos or I don't know what gotchos are, but like, like hidden fees. You guys ever try to buy something and there's like hidden fees? Like you maybe buy something online and then you get to the checkout and it's like, oh yeah, you have this fee, this fee, this fee, and shipping's $40. And you're like, the thing only costs $10. You guys ever experienced that? That's how the world gives. When there's, at times there's ulterior motives or there's always something, nothing's ever free. Well, God says, I give my peace to you and I'll give it to you. No strings attached. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Notice he says, neither let it be afraid. And this is awesome. That word afraid, it means to be timid or cowardly. That the peace of God in our lives, when, when we receive that and we have that from Jesus, it doesn't just stay at peace, but it turns into a confidence. It turns into a confidence saying, look, yeah, I should be freaking out right now. This is difficult, but I'm good. Things aren't good, but I'm good. Do you understand the difference? Where for the Christian, you and I are able to separate how we're doing from circumstance. No one else is able to do that. It, it cannot happen without the peace of God in your lives. And Jesus wants you to have it at all times. He says, there's gonna be difficult things, but I want you to have inner peace. Make sense? John 16, this same conversation, just a couple chapters later, verse 32 and 33, Jesus were to say this, indeed the hour is coming. Yes, has now, now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. Meaning at that time when they come to take Jesus, at first the disciples are like, oh, let's, let's stop him. You know, Peter cuts off that guy's ear and he's kind of crazy. But eventually all the disciples, when they start putting the cuffs on Jesus, they bail, they run away and Jesus is alone. But he says, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And notice Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, difficult times, but be of good cheer, I, I have overcome the world. How is Jesus able to do this? How is he able to give us peace when things are crazy? It's because the world, he's overcome it. It means that he has conquered everything in the world. He is king. And so, and we know the king. And so God's able to do this in our lives. You see, this is why in the midst of troubled, you and I don't have to have troubled hearts. But how do we, how do we get that? How do we receive that peace that Jesus wants to give us? Well, look at the second part in verse one. Look in your Bibles. I want you to see it. First hand. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Okay, he makes a statement. But then he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. You see, Jesus says, believe what I tell you. He says, I've told you things. I've given you my word. If you trust God, sweet. You can also trust in me. You see, he's making this connection between him and the Father and saying, you can trust what I've said. That in believing God's word and saying, God, I don't understand how this word will come true, but I believe what you say. I believe what you say when you say you work all things to good to those who love God. I don't know how you're gonna work this together, but I trust that you will because you have said it. And when we can have that simplicity in Jesus of just trusting God says this, and so that's what's it, that's what it is, that's when God's peace comes. Isaiah 26, three says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. See, the idea is that God has this 
perfect peace. Do you see where it says perfect peace? Literally in the Hebrew, it's trans- translated twice. It just means peace, peace. Uh, when you're like, what do you mean? Why is it listed twice? It's because it's an, it's an emphatic peace, meaning it is, there is nothing else like it. It is unique in nature. It's nothing that the world can give. And the Bible says when we can just fix our minds upon the Lord and we can think about him, that he wants to give us this perfect peace that surpasses understanding, meaning God's peace is in a way where you like, I don't understand it, but you have a peace. You're like, and because someone might come to you, hey, you should be freaking out because of everything going on. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm not. He's like, but, but why? And you're like, I, I don't know why. I just know I have God's peace. It, it surpasses the ability to even understand that, that you really should be, but you're not. That's God's peace. God's peace is able to do that in our lives. You guys tracking with me? Make sense? You guys understand the idea of having a troubled heart? All right. So Jesus doesn't stop here, though. He's not just like, hey, don't have a troubled heart. Hey, don't be, it's all good. He gives some reasons why. He gives some things to focus on. You might say, well, I just don't know what to focus on when the Bible says whose mind is stayed on you, meaning stayed on God. Well, one of the things is that we can think about the hope of heaven. And that comes to point number two, that Jesus is going to begin to tell them about a prepared place, a place that is prepared by Jesus himself. And starting in verse two, he says, after this, he says, in my father's house are many mansions. That's awesome. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You see, though Jesus is leaving, he wants to encourage them. He wants to tell them that, hey, this is not all there is. I might be leaving, but we'll be together together again. And so he begins to talk about the future hope of heaven. So, you know, we, we started talking about goodbyes in the beginning and how those are difficult things, especially when they're sudden goodbyes. Well, the thing that I have found that makes a goodbye even easier than warning and preparation is when it's not a goodbye and it's more of a see you later. All right, it's, hey, hey, we're saying goodbye, but really we're saying see you later. And that's what Jesus is communicating with them. He's saying, look, I'm leaving, but it's not a goodbye forever. It's a, I will see you later. And he says, I go to my father. The idea is that this parting, this separating, that, that this physical distance that they will have from Jesus, he's saying it's not going to be permanent, that we're going to be together again. And he says here, notice he says, my father's house. Now, where do you guys think that is? This is in my father's house, verse two. Where is Jesus' father's house? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's heaven, right? It is heaven. It's not here. It's not like there's like, oh yeah, it's in, uh, it's in India. We just got to go there. You got to climb a mountain and that's where God lives. Uh, no, <laughs> when it says my father's house, this doesn't mean his, uh, you know, his complete dwelling, but this means heaven, right? This is, this is what it's talking about, not, not on earth. And he says that in his father's house are many mansions. What's a mansion? Really big house. So wait, how does that make sense? If he has a he has a big house, and then are there a bunch of other big houses in, in God's big house? It's kind of confusing, right? Uh, well, that word mansions, it literally means in the, in the Greek, it means, um, 
a dwelling place. You can note that down. It just means a dwelling. Think about it as it means that you'll have a place, a place to stay. And notice he doesn't say there are a couple mansions. He says that there are many, which guess what many means? It means a whole lot, okay? And there are a whole lot of mansions in his father's house. So for me, this can be confusing because you're like, ah, I don't know, when, at least when I read this in this translation, it's like father's house, but then in the house, there are more houses? Like, what's, what's going on here? Well, honestly, no one knows for sure what this exactly is going to look like. There's different scholars and, and Bible commentators that, that have really good arguments on different sides of, of what this might look like. But honestly, for the details of what this is going to look like, we won't know until heaven. Is this going to be like one big mansion, but then inside the mansion, there's a bunch of other big mansions? <laughs> is there going to be so many mansions that, and we'll each have our own? Is this referring to something completely different? Some Bible commentators think this is referring not to a dwelling place as a house, but more as a body. Meaning you and I, when we get to heaven, we know this for sure from other Bible passages, is that you and I will get a glorified body. It'll be your body, but transformed to be uh, immortal, glorified without sin. It'd be awesome. Is this what this is referring to you? Or something completely different? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I, I'm still even debating what my opinion is, but it doesn't matter. Because what's the point? And, and sometimes you and I can get lost in the details and miss the point. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that there's going to be a place for you. I want you to write that down. There's going to be a place for you. That in heaven, if you trust in Jesus and he is your savior, he is your Lord, he is your father, then there is a place for you in heaven. What is that going to look like? I don't know. The Bible says that as we um, serve God, that we actually do gain rewards and that will affect our heavenly position and place, which is pretty awesome and legit, that there will be different places and different levels. We'll be all, we will all be in heaven together, but there is this variety. And so we go with what we know. And guys, when you have a place somewhere, the idea is that you're a part of that, right? When you have a place somewhere, the idea is that you belong there. And you and I, we're not just made for a person, but we were made for a place, and our person is Jesus, and our place is eternity with him. It's heaven. So what kind of place is this going to be? Well, what we do know is this. I don't know what the details. I can't tell you, hey, you're going to have this mansion. going to have 10 windows. I can't, tell, I can't give you those details. But I know the one who has prepared it. I know about this place, at least one thing, that it is a prepared place. And who prepares it? Jesus. Jesus specifically that Jesus says, I'm leaving heaven. So that means right now, even 2,000 years removed from this, that Jesus is in heaven preparing for you to come. He's preparing for you to come. The word prepare, you can note it down. It means to make ready. He's making things ready for you. So this I know, that it's gonna be specialized for you specifically, which is pretty awesome. You see, it's been said before, you can note this down as well, that love prepares a welcome. Love prepares a welcome. Kind of like, uh, do you guys have any younger brothers or sisters? Raise your hand if you got some younger brothers or sisters. So then maybe for some of you, you have experienced uh, when your mom is pregnant. 
and you're probably not the focal point at that for those uh, nine months and maybe some months to follow, right? And when that baby is coming, when, not there yet, but when the baby is coming, your parents begin to prepare, right? They even literally prepare a place. They make a room, they paint the room, they get a crib, they get decorations, and they are preparing. Why? Because they love the baby. They love that they're going to have this child. They want, they want to make sure that when the child arrives, there is a prepared place for him or her. Or what about when you guys have family coming in from out of town? What does your mom make you do? Okay, sleep on the couch. Yeah, that's, that's true too. You might have to. Okay, but what else? Yeah. Clean. Like insane. Insane cleaning, right? I remember when I was younger, uh, you know, our, our house was... was it was never dirty or like, you know, super messy, um, but it wasn't like perfectly spotless clean. And I remember when we hear, oh, hey, grandpa's coming into town, you know, he's going to stay in our, you know, the extra room or he's going to stay in your room and you're sleeping, whatever, on the couch. Um, I remember you know, my, my mom would be like, all right, like that, those coming days before, super busy. They're like, I'm starting to clean things around the, the house that are, have never been cleaned before, you know? They're like, you know, you, they're like, okay, we got to pull out the, the dresser and clean behind the dresser. I'm like, no one even goes by there, right? And you're like, you're like mom, I, you know, I don't even need to clean my room. They're not even going to be in there. I'll just shut the, Everything's clean. It's like baseboards, clean, everything. Why? Because someone is coming and mom and dad want to prepare a place for them. Maybe holidays. Maybe you have people, maybe you host Thanksgiving. You're probably cleaning like crazy, at least, at least my house. Maybe I'm the only one. But why? It's because love prepares a welcome. And Jesus right now is preparing a place for you. And think about it. Why is he talking about this with the disciples? Because he wants to encourage them. He wants to give them that peace, but he doesn't want to just say, all right, you know, you know good luck. Just don't, just don't be troubled. No, he gives them reasons why. And I think he's trying to shift their focus that it's not just about here and now, it is about then and there. And think about how many times the Bible says that you and I need to be heavenly minded, that we need to think about the things of heaven. It's because this is not our home. It's not. This is a temporary place. There is a place for us and it's not here. This is not home. Now we can have a home and that's awesome. And be able to call that place home, it's nice. But we always need to have in the back of our minds that this is not where we belong. There's a place where we belong. There's a place for us. And guys, in the midst of difficult things that you will encounter and maybe are currently encountering, when you can have in your mind that this is not all there is, it makes way for God's peace to come into your life. But when this is all you think about, for someone that maybe isn't a believer and they think you just kind of disappear after you die and you just go on the ground and that's it, things that are chaotic around them are going to cause extreme stress, are going to cause trouble in the heart because this is all there is. But for you and I, this is not all there is. We have a thereafter and it is with the Lord. And he says, I go to prepare a place. And he will be the one who ultimately receives them. He says, I'm going to come again and I'm going to take you. Look in your Bibles in verse three. He says, I'm going to come back. I'm going to receive you to myself. And because I want you to be where I am. He says that you may be with me. It's not that we'll be in that place in heaven alone. We'll be with Jesus. That's what makes it heaven. 
In John 14, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. All, this is in the context of talking about the Holy Spirit, but that Jesus says he'll, he will come back for us. And guys, this is talking about the rapture. Verse three is one, a, a very clear a scripture that you can attach to the doctrine of the rapture. Do you guys know what the rapture is? Oh, the rapture is an awesome thing I hope you know about. It can happen at any moment. It could happen right now. It could happen before service is ended. And if you have placed your trust and faith in Jesus, you are going to that prepared place. But if you do not know, you will be left behind. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you will be left behind. And the Bible says that there is this prepared place and Jesus is coming back. This promise that he gave the disciples in this upper room 2,000 years ago, guess what? It has not yet been fulfilled. And it is for you and for I today, which is awesome. Because then it's like, all right, Jesus, uh, we're ready. We're ready to go home. And I'm ready. I wish you'd come today. It'd be sweet. We don't have to, you know, wear masks anymore and go through things. And you guys want to have to deal with the things that are coming to, you know, to school this year and the crazy things that, are, that he will make all the wrongs right. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for him, to, his justice, his judgment, his righteousness. But guys, the word that comes to mind when I was reading these verses and, and preparing for today when he was saying that there's this prepared place, that he's gonna be there, that there's this idea of belonging, just the word was coming to my mind was home. Is home, that, that heaven is our home. And the Bible, or not the Bible, this guy, Dr. James Gray, he said this, and I like how he put it. He said, who could mind the journey when the road leads home? You see, Jesus was trying to get their mind on home so that in the midst of the journey, uh, there is an ability to keep going. There's an endurance given. Uh, Haley and I, last year, uh, got to go up to San Francisco. Have you guys ever been there? Pretty cool city. Uh, there's some parts that are rather interesting. Uh, but nonetheless, very beautiful city. Um, some great uh, chocolate, Ghirardelli's factories there. And uh, you can get some awesome bread bowls, clam chowder. It's super good and fun. And so we only had two days. And so what we did, we left on a Friday uh, morning, drove, do you know how many hours it takes to get there? Six to eight. Yeah, yeah, six to eight, right? Depending on how many stops, depending on traffic. And so we got up there pretty quick. And, uh, and then we just stayed one night. And then the next day we came home. It was kind of crazy. It was a lot of driving. It was like a lot of driving, especially what I'm about to share with you. And so the next day, you know, oh, okay, let's leave not too late. And then we could not just go through the middle of California. We could go down the coast. Have you guys ever been down the coast of California? Super beautiful and very long, very long coast. And so we, you know, set out from San Francisco. We did all of our things there. We're heading home. Church is the next day. I'm like, okay, you know, we should be home at like maybe eight or nine. Not going to be too bad. We will get to bed, you know, because I wake up early for Sunday mornings. And so we're like, hey, let's go down the coast. So, you know, we can stop, take some pictures. It'll be cool. And then the first 20, what should have taken 20 minutes to get to the coast took two hours. And so, and then there was more traffic and then more traffic and so what turned into, we should get home at eight or nine, turned into we got home at like 1.30 in the morning. And, uh, and it just like that coast just kept going and going. But you know what kept us going? You know why we just didn't just stop? And we're like, oh, let's just stop here and give up. It's because we were going home. There was a destination. And though that journey was kind of difficult and oh my gosh, crazy, we almost fell asleep and died probably three times. But nonetheless, 
What kept us going? What made the journey more bearable? It was where we were going and we were going home. And in life, when the going gets difficult, when we can fix our minds on, on that this is not all there is, and that even the difficult things that have happened to us here and are happening, that there is a future hope. That's the hope of heaven. And when, when you focus your minds on that, God gives his peace. Romans 8, 18, Paul says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy, not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The idea is that when our, when our mind is focused on what we're gonna experience in heaven, which the Bible does give some details and God does give some, some things for us to know and understand. And when we think about heaven, we think about life with Jesus, then the things that we're suffering here, just they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will follow. And so Jesus says, verse four, he says, I am, I, I'm going and you know where I'm going and you know the way I'm going. That there was this expectation that the, that the disciples would get this. But guess what? Uh, just like Peter, uh, there's other disciples that were a little slow to understand. And so there's another disciple who asks a question. Anyone want to look in verse five and tell me who that disciple is? Yeah, Thomas, good old Tommy boy. He gets kind of painted for being doubting Thomas. Uh, but here he, he kind of chimes up and he wants to know. He should have gotten it. But the disciples, you know, were, were still not understanding. They still weren't getting it that he's talking about home. And Tom, Thomas asked the question, look at verse five, and, and this will give us to our third point that everything is through Jesus. And verse five, he says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, it almost seems like the disciples thought, okay, Jesus, you're leaving, but like, where are you going? And then Jesus shares the prepared place, talking about heaven, talking about his father's house, but they still don't get it. They don't get that he's going to heaven. They're like, okay, what, you know, what state? Like what, uh, you know, what country? We're, we'll, we'll go with you. And, and we don't know the way. How do, we, how do we get there? And so Jesus responds and he says, and, and this is one of the famous I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. There's seven of them. This is one. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. He says, I am the life, period. Powerful, powerful statement. What does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the way? It's that Jesus is the only way to where? To heaven, to that prepared place, to what he was just talking about, which by default, because Jesus is the, the way, meaning it, in the Greek, it reads that he's the only way, it means that there are no other ways. He's it. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. I'm the one of the truths, one of the many truths, one of the many ways to life. No, he said, I am the only. I am the way. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said early on in his ministry that the way is narrow. And you're like, that's really narrow-minded of you to think that Jesus is the only way. What about someone else who is devoted to their religion? If they don't know Jesus, they will not know life. There's no other way under heaven 
by which men must be saved. It is only by the name of Jesus. He says here, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way, the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Everyone look at me. Jesus is the only way. Don't let anyone tell you different. There is no other way. If there was any other way, Jesus would not have died upon the cross. It can't be by your good works. There is no other name. There's no other person. It is Jesus alone. And the Bible says that he is also the truth. It means that he's the only truth, that he is the very source of truth. It's, sometimes it's hard to discern what is true, that people have, people have different, I mean, people think different, they have different opinions, right? But the concept of truth is that there can only be one, that we live in a culture now that believes in relative truth, meaning, well, I know Jesus is true for you, but I'm going to get to heaven a different way. It's not true. Jesus says this in, eight, in John chapter 8, verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now you can know things that are true, but the only truth that will impact your life is who Jesus is and what you do with him. And the Bible describes if you don't know Jesus as the truth, the Bible says that you're in trouble. The Bible describes Jesus as the word of God. And the word of God is truth. And so Jesus is truth. And it says that he is the life. John 11 verse 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. You see, outside of Jesus, men do not know true life. That yes, you and I are eternal souls. Whether we spend it in heaven or hell, that's up to our decisions now. You see, another way to kind of put it is uh, what I like to call a little, little Bible math. That if you know Jesus, you know life, meaning K-N-O-W. So you know Jesus equals you'll know life. But if you have no Jesus, N-O Jesus, you will have no life. That true, uh, the, Jesus says that he has come to give life and that more abundantly. You see, all arrows point to Jesus. He is the very way, the very source of truth, and the epitome of life. I, I really like what this guy has to say. Thomas Kempis, he says this, and this is good. It's the best quote of the whole, whole sermon today. He says, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. He says, I am the way which you must follow, speaking of Jesus, the truth which you must believe, and the life which you must hope. See, Jesus makes it clear that there is no other way to the Father, that he's it, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that is the most important thing. And so the unchanging reality is that Jesus is it, that the way our hearts will not be troubled is through Jesus, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's a matter of fact, that's an unchanging reality. But for you, is he your way? Is he your truth? Is he your life? You see, without him, you'll have a troubled heart with no remedy. That people without God, they do not have lasting peace. Meaning they might have moments that, of calm, moments of even joy. 
But God gives us something lasting in Jesus. Without him, you will not have a place prepared for you in heaven. You will have an eternal home. It just won't be with him. And without him, he won't come for you. That he comes for those who receive him. So guys, I, I want to encourage you today. Maybe, maybe today's your first time in church. I know there was someone last service that they've never been to church before. And this was the first church service they've ever been to. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you don't normally go to church. Maybe you rarely go to church. Jesus is the answer for your life. And the Bible says that today you can receive him as your Lord and Savior, that you confess your sins, that you need a Savior, and that you call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says that you shall be saved. God wants to enter your life. God wants to give you peace that surpasses understanding. And maybe today, maybe you've gone to church your whole life. And maybe your parents are saved and you've gone here your whole life or somewhere else. Well, God wants you to know him. It's not about coming to church. It's about knowing him. Is he your way? Is he your life? Or is he just something that you believe in? The Bible says that even the demons believe and they tremble before God. That there comes a moment in your life where you have to receive him as Lord. The Bible describes in John 15 that we must abide in Christ. It just means that you are with him. And so are you with him today? Do you, have you experienced his peace? The Bible says that peace is a fruit of the spirit, meaning when God's in our life, that even at times when we shouldn't have peace, God gives it. And so God cares and he doesn't want our hearts to be troubled. He cares about our eternal home and, and he wants you there with him. 